0: All right, this next episode is almost 42 minutes long, so this preamble is seriously unnecessary extension of time on my part to take time off your part, my fault. But I want to underscore that everything that you're about to listen to has to be taken as you're a better person than you think you are. There's no question the society does everything it can to tell you why you should not like yourself to give you an opportunity to think you're not up to the image of the perfect person you should be. Bullshit. You are an amazing individual with all of the glorious upswing energy of building a better world that needs to exist. Anything else you think about yourself, you've been trained to think. So remember, you're a much better person than you think you are. And then, maybe the next 42-ish minutes won't be so... uh What? Man, I don't even know what to say. Maybe you should tell me. No, don't tell me. I don't want to know. Hello, universe. Um, I'm not feeling rather melodic, nor musical, so why I chose to introduce the recording with such... Variables, oh, I should totally record something better than this, but mediocrity has sort of become a point of study and a reflexive study, uh, though I don't have time for it at the moment. Uh, just got its first flag post on the ground. Hey, kitty, hey, kitty, hey, kitty. Um, all right, and actually, good, good cameo. Well, well-timed on the entrance there. Um, I will say the cat, it's now been over a month. It's been, oh, it's a, no, it's a Monday. Uh, it's been, it'll be six weeks on Thursday that, uh, I've had uh life without my dog. I miss Phoebe every day. Um, I, you know, I miss all my dogs every day. It makes, <clears throat> it's funny how <clears throat> she now is in the pack of dogs I used to own. Um, but uh, I don't want to think about all my dogs. It's gonna make me cry. okay, so instead I'm going to think about my cat, which quick backstory um I've owned cats and dogs my whole life as a kid all the way through now, well, in theory and um but I've always owned cats, well, not always, but for the most part, I've owned cats. As mouse control, and um, and very much so in this case, to the point that uh, the cat I own, who is now thirteen years old or will be thirteen, she's somewhere in that age. Uh, when I adopted her uh, in two thousand eleven, she uh, she was the feistiest cat in a room filled with cats that were available on free cat day. Literally, if you'll take these cats, we will give them to you at the uh, Humane Society. And uh, she was the worst of all. Because I wanted a cat guaranteed to catch mice. I needed something that was at least aggressive enough that it wouldn't uh, forego the opportunity to hunt down a few critters it saw scurrying about. So my whole criteria for cat choosing was to look for the one that was going to be the most aggressive, especially on free cat day. And, uh, it worked. She's a great mouse. Well, she was, um, but, uh, she's suffered an injury, uh, four or five years ago, four, five now. Fuck man. It's been a while. Uh, And most likely was shot, but there was a piece of metal shrapnel that got into her somehow when she was out. To the point that I thought she was dying. I thought she'd been attacked by an animal and was just dying in my cellar. Because I hadn't seen her for a day or two, and when I finally found her down curled up in the furthest part of the cellar, she was bloody as hell. I mean, it was awful. I just assumed she was down there to die. And I uh, brought down water and food and put it next to her, and she spent... For over four weeks, but not five weeks, in that cellar, in that fucking position. As far as I know, I never saw her move. She never shit, she never pissed. I mean, again, she must have been doing it somewhere down there, whatever, whatever. The point is, my mouse trap was was dying and uh, and then out of nowhere she recovered. Like just started walking around, eating normally. I mean, it took her a month or two to finally, for the wound to stop uh, aggravating her full-time. And and then the wound, frankly, healed. I mean, she never got her fur back. But whatever was inside her, she eventually healed enough to accommodate it. Because I didn't know she, any, I still thought up until... I got her to the vet for the second instance that she had just been attacked and she was healing. It was... fuck, I figured Fox got her or something. But... Uh, point is, she recovered enough that she became herself again for the most part. I will say this. She used to leave the house regularly, even for days at a time. And that stopped happening. She was always in the house. Or within... Enough of the house that if I walked in the backyard, she came running to the door. So she never left the property, really, after this. Um, and then I, then after a year or so of her getting better and being fine, uh, all of a sudden the wound was back. Like she was going after it again. She was causing the disruption, in my mind, to the spot that had aggravated her this whole time. Well, of course she was, because now this piece of metal is trying to eject itself from her body. So I finally get her to the vet, and they say if they operate on her, they X-ray her and find that she's got this scarred piece inside her. And, uh, and so either she's been shot or she's somehow been in the vicinity of a bomb. Um, but whatever, she's got a shard of metal inside of her that uh, if they say if they operate on her, she's only 50-50 to live, and it's a $6,000 fucking cost. I'm like, no, we're not doing that. I'm taking her home. whatever happens to her happens to her. She's my mousetrap. Uh, and that's where things basically stand except that she is now uh, she has discharged the piece of metal. so she has an open wound that won't heal. And the vets will put her the vet will put her down, but there's nothing they can do for her. I mean she is in a condition where, She can have skin grafting techniques done if she's a human being with a health plan. But no, she's got this open wound that she suffers through. Now, I've coned her for three weeks to get her to just leave the wound alone to see if she's the sole cause, and no. As a matter of fact, it gets worse. It starts to ooze. I mean, the whole circumstance is sad. And in explaining all this, my point is... I've always had a professional relationship with my fucking cat. And if it was a personal relationship, then yeah, I might have considered a $6,000 surgery to pull metal out of her. But in reality, uh, there's no way I would spend $6,000 on a cat. Even one I loved, I don't think. I mean, it was four grand for Max, and I'd said no to that. That I do actually regret, though, so hard to say. But whatever, right? Animals, as much as I love them, and I love them completely, more than many humans, uh, still, there is a cost variable in play to extend an animal's life, which may be limited in great capacity due to said invasive operation, for another year or two. And uh, I just, with this cat, have a low threshold for what that financial commitment could be. Let's say 150 bucks, But that doesn't mean that I won't give her an entire loving relationship and care as much as I know how to. I'm not inhumane in terms of doing what I can. So I put every kind of antibacterial or whatever... You know, I, she and this wound are awful, but I love my cat. I can't not. So as the dog has uh, vanished from her life, it's given her a new comfort level in the house. She doesn't have to jump up every time the two of us enter the room for fear that staying beneath the dog puts her in a prone position to be attacked. And so her ease of life has greatly improved. The only one who has with the loss of Phoebe. But it's clear that she is now less stressed. And in such a capacity has sought out a lot more chill time with me. Like we're becoming buddies. And this is after seeing... a. A fucking rodent crawl up my kitchen goddamn wall. Now, admittedly, I had pulled back some paneling and was working on a duct that was in the uh, exposed area, and they crawled up that part. So, nonetheless, 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 fucking cat, get in here! (sighs) My point is... A yes, I have to figure out some other solution for my current rodents are coming in because the goddamn environment's getting cold situation because she ain't it. But am I really gonna own two cats? Oh fuck, no. So am I really gonna use mouse traps? I'm not gonna poison them. <sighs> so I'm in a dilemma. I don't like taking life. I can't live with mice running behind my kitchen walls either. I don't know what the fuck to do. I'm not getting a second cat. I don't think. Anyway, that's not even what I got on to talk about. But I do believe my cat deserved a ten minute rededication to how much I respect her fucking determination of life she is as tough an animal as I've ever known. man she's been through some shit. She looks fucking haggard at the moment. Of course she's showing me her wound prominently from behind. I feel for her though. she was the kind of cat that when I got her was the most independent animal I'd ever known. She'd disappear for, she disappeared for one time she disappeared for nine days. Nine days is a long time for your cat to be gone and to come back. <laughs> and this was like year three. Um, and in the first couple of years, she would disappear for four or five days regularly. I thought she had a second home, seriously, because she would be gone for so long, but she'd come back so fucking famished. She would gobbled down whatever she could get. So I really think she might've been adventuring. So, I've, I've always liked her rhythm of life, um, but she, she was also a great mouse catcher. The one I had before her was phenomenal. The most, and this cat I more than once caught, I have a, a laundry, uh, a remnant of a laundry clothesline pole hookup in my backyard concrete patio area where one pole is gone, but the other pole is just the straight pole up without the T. So it's just a piece of two-inch pipe. She would sit on top of that thing. It's fucking five feet tall. I don't know how she even got on it. I never saw her get on it. So I don't know how she was up there. But I came into the backyard twice and found her on that fucking pole. That cat caught way too much. I mean, she caught birds like... To the point I got sad. So, her mousing skills were phenomenal. This cat, though, I gotta say, since she's been in the house, except for recently, I've seen fewer mice, so maybe the mice are down, but this cat has more than done her job. But you can't have two cats in life. You can't. That's so much cat imbalance. Gotta get a dog first, at a minimum. I don't have money for a dog right now, though, which is pathetic, but true. Uh, anyway, this is none of what I got on to talk about. All of which is funny to say that I did get on to talk about something specific. Um, hang on. Well, no, I'm not going to call my sister right now, but I think I can talk my sister into one specific conversation that she'll let me record, and that is... Our unusual, race-free upbringing. And I say this as the white male in the group. I get that I'm the one who had the least current of racism uh, known. But let me explain what I mean. As a movement in the early 70s, in reaction to all of the race adjustment, social order, Consciousness raising of the 60s, four cities, of which I know Indianapolis, well, I'm 99% sure on Indianapolis, Detroit, Denver, and one other, which I have no idea what the fourth one is. My mother would know all this shit if I wanted to ask her about it. But the point is, there were four medium-sized cities that had some racial diversity that were selected for a special integration program that was targeting their entire schooling from kindergarten to 12th grade. What they were going to do was they were going to grab uh, kids from around the city to make racially diverse and equally represented schools um, by busing. So what essentially this meant is that In elementary school, the poor districts were bussed into the wealthier districts. And then in high school, the reverse happened. The wealthier districts were bussed into the poor districts. And the stages in between were spent uh, with your collective community. So your middle school years were only two years. And it was everybody in the area walked to school for the most part. You were were close to your school, not being bussed. So you had two years of community schooling where it was a large region of kids coming from all kinds of elementary schools. And then, again, you split up to go to high school, different areas. So a fourth of the junior high schools went one way, a fourth went another way, roughly. Um, So you really got to know a wide swath of people in the city, I'll say that. Um, And you got to know uh, a wide, diverse group of kids. And Asian kids need to be represented here. This isn't black, white. This was black, white, Asian for us. Um, and so they they set this program up where I believe I was the first year in it, in 74, as a kindergartner. Um, and I think my sister would have been then the third year in it. And I believe by the seventh year, it was over. So there were six or five years of this. I'm not sure which. Um that then was scrapped at the end. And I'll tell you the the reason was that they were getting lower academic results. The test scores weren't, weren't representing an elevation that was expected. Although the excellent students were getting more results than ever before. Um, And so I think what this ended up doing is pointing out systemic racism in the uh, testing processes themselves, just as a, Someone looking back on the whole experience. But these programs were specifically built to teach us there is no race. That was the messaging from age five on. And it was done by always having equal groups. We were, we just, we didn't think there, I mean, we learned things about racial history we knew about the civil rights movement. That was something they were teaching us in elementary school, like first and second grade. Those were the, the uh, if you will, the propaganda chapters of the day that we had overcome racism, that we were now an equal society, that everyone had every opportunity to do anything they wanted to do. And we all believed it. No one thought anything better of anybody else or that they were less than anybody else. They're just, and I never Heard racial slurs or anything like that ever in my life as a kid, um, and even in high school. I mean, the N word maybe a little bit among the community, but never in in uh, derogatory terms. And I went to a racially diverse high school with gang issues enough that I mean there were there were gang murders at my high school. So it's not like some of the reality of the world wasn't still intact in our little bubble of fucking everyone's equal, but the bubble was strong if you were in the bubble, the bubble protected everybody. yeah, you might be in a less uh, uh economically fortuitous situation than I, but you're my brother to the to the core I don't face the kinds of uh of other world problems that you do, but I would die for the right for you to be able to say that you have exactly the same liberty that I have. We felt these things. We felt like we were the generation that knew better, that that everyone who came before us just hadn't thought things through. Or it would be, ah, shit. Oh, I don't want to break down. What I'm trying to say is it was uh, it was agreed upon that uh, that this was so obvious that nobody nobody wasn't participating. Like, there was no counter-faction. A true society dedicated to equanimity, or equality of opportunity, was a no-brainer. It's how things should be. So, when they made a space to allow us to exist that way, it became important. Because we knew the world wasn't that way. Uh, I don't mean to get so emotional about this, but you have to understand that the uh, the way they led us on that you know this would this would be a way of life. We thought this was how societies would start to be built. Well, you know. It took the second or third day I was in college to realize that I didn't have any idea what the real world looked like. I've been brought up in a fucking paradise, and uh, and the real world world was full of of wolves and victims, and and uh, and it was stunning to me. It was. Uh, it was the kind of disconnect, frankly, that, in some ways, wrecked my life. Because what I see now, and it's taken a long time to see it. Hang on, I'm going to blow my. Do that on recording. Okay, and the, uh, what I see now is how, um, how natural a state of. Mankind exists that is a no-brainer. Everybody has the same opportunity, and everybody has the same authority. Nobody was better than anybody else, but everybody was as good as everybody else. So everybody, you know, if, if five people got together in a room full of 30 and said, hey, we got something we want to bring up to the group, the group listened and was interested. Because these five people might have an idea among them that's, that has power. Or, you know, there was just there was there was a there was a camaraderie that doesn't exist now, and and maybe never existed. Maybe it only existed in, in this bubble that was my elementary school through high school education. But if you're if you're brought up um, being told that the world has changed for the better that these things are are battles that now morally have been won. It's just executing the follow-through to make sure that we embrace our new moral sensibility. When you hit a world that is in fact immoral in in many ways, but race was an obvious one, and so was misogyny and a lot of other uh, true systemic put-downs of people's. And as a white male American, of course, I know my favoritism involved in the entire enterprise, but the the jarring situational gap between what can be and what is has been the disconnect I've investigated since, and uh, and I, I guarantee you, if I. Had this conversation with my sister, and I never have, but she has the same fight in her own head. And we both settled. I know, I know at some point both of us just had to let it go that a world like that could exist. And so, excuse me. Another way when I think of things is all my fault. I do feel like I got an opportunity to see a better world. To live in a version of a world that only existed in four cities. Where the very point of the world was to let everyone know that opportunity was here for whatever you wanted to do. And Even as we started to, I don't know, um, show aptitude in certain ways, the athletes start standing out, or the spelling bee kids start standing out, or whatever. Once you start finding the things you're good at, or like, or want to do, well, in this system of education, it was encouraged. I remember this kid, Carl Carter, was an amazing artist as as an elementary school kid. He could draw superhero panels that were phenomenal. I mean and and the teachers encouraged it. They knew how good he was. Hell he sat in class pretty much all day and just drew superheroes. And was really gifted. And it was like everyone who and and, and what it made all of us do is want to be artists. Cause we were sitting with this Uh, instead of somebody saying, hey, you know, there's no time for that. um, He was... He was an example of how the rest of us um, could find joy and even some level of personal accomplishment in developing our own skills as artists. And, uh, I mean, to this day, I remember drawing this one figure of somebody, like, about to land... Like, they're from flight. And I... It's the best thing I ever drew. to the, Even now. And uh, my dad even thought I traced it. And... Uh, and it's... Ah, Jesus. I don't know why I'm so emotional. Or why I'm talking to Jesus. But... To this day. That's the best thing I've ever drawn. And... I grew up with an architect and an artist for father. Like, I always felt like I should be able to do more things with a pencil than I was capable of. So, to act to, to have even drawn something that I was proud of was unusual. But that's a lifelong memory. That happened in fifth grade. And, uh, and it's still the best thing I ever drew. And I'd never have drawn it if the way that we celebrated people's talents and we encouraged people to develop an interest in just whatever was interesting. Uh, It was a different world. And, uh, so, when I gave up on society as just a place that had it all wrong, uh, well, now I see that uh, you're not you're not allowed glimpses of of other ways of doing things without the responsibility that comes with ushering those things to the front for everyone else. If you're the only one who sees them, I I keep finding myself in front of quotes or cartoons or just random shit about how. It's easy to become part of the group. It's, it takes nothing, no courage whatsoever. But to stand alone, a voice against the sway of mass opinion, takes everything. It takes a life of having been given the opportunity to see that it's our own mediocrity that holds us back. If you're told through life that you're capable of being racist, then you look for ways that you think you are. Or you feel guilty for uh, jumping in front of somebody who happens to be a different skin color than you. You just start to think in these visions of race that don't even exist. What if all races were chosen by the color of their blood? You're a red, me too. That's how it felt. And in that space, somebody who's truly gifted doesn't just understand that that's important. They share it. They celebrate it. And we're all better for it. So, ah, fuck. Whatever sort of misgivings you have toward yourself, For whatever reason, you think you might be more like this if you were given the opportunity. Maybe you too would be a Nuremberg guard ready to keep those who are of other persuasion at bay for the fear of the other is so ingrained in you. Well, I'm going to tell you that that's all horseshit. None of it's true. It's all stuff you learned when you got here. And if you hadn't been taught it, You wouldn't be those things. You wouldn't even be able to think them. Because that's the way the world really works. We're all team red. And I suppose, in some ways, getting past your own sense of guilt, or that you're the problem, or that there is a problem, that's the part I didn't understand was was so dominant. They bring us here, they give us divisive social issues upon which to divide, and then we do accordingly. And all of it is just made up horseshit. It's 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 so nefarious I can't even understand why why the levers being pulled are pulled that way. And I know that being given an opposition on which to focus one's energy is an easy way to lead a whole bunch of people one direction. Oh, well, you don't think that? Well, you know what these people think? I know, they think that way. And if we don't suffer from thinking that way, then we won't be able to think this way. Because they don't think that way. Wait, what? Have 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 I... Wait, you're talking about Barb and and Tom? Are you kidding? As soon as you get to know somebody, they don't think anyway. They are Barb and Tom. That's the point. We're here as individual expressions of soul energy, walking around in meat suits that make us constantly self-reflect that others are judging us. And it's in that discombobulated sense of 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 insecurity that we start to look for groups to team up with so that we can be more well yeah but uh fuck man i mean obama hope and change right fuck yeah hope and change okay whatever if you're going to allow your own individual worth to come into question if there's any sense of self-loathing Well, then you're just going to look for some sense of camaraderie, whether it's manufactured or not. When you're in a room filled with camaraderie, it doesn't even get questioned. You don't have to look for allies because there are no enemies. But the real world, that's not how it works. Because those with the most control put us on Team Red and Team Blue. We don't all get to be Team Red. We're all Team Red or Team Blue. Or we're all Team White or Team Black or Team... You name it. How were the Denver Broncos and the goddamn Kansas City Chiefs? Which I hate to admit, but fuck, man, I do like watching the Chiefs play. And watching the Broncos play can be... Well, it can give you reasons to quit football. That is a serious point-of-none report, so... Talking sports, I will not again, except to tell you that that is a waste of your time. Go play a sport. Quit talking about them. Um, okay. Personal diatribe aside, I gotta play some tennis.
1: Hey, it's
0: my birthday. Here at 628 on the 25th of September. Is that the right date? Shit, man. Let's check it out. It is the 25th. Good job. Um... I'm here to tell you you're a lot better person than you think you are. You are, in fact, a phenomenal spirit of goodness and soul energy toward greatness. You are the uplifting embodiment of everything the universe hopes to create. And the idea that you get here and start thinking things about yourself that aren't true isn't your fault. None of your personal expressions toward another group are anything but your own personal insecurities having been misled into groupthink. It's not you. Four people in a lifeboat who have never had a conversation with each other will all find interesting and various points of celebration among each other. We are not a group that is prone to hate, to distrust, or even to exclude. We, as humanity, are born for camaraderie and embrace that which is elevating for all of us. It's our natural condition in which to act. So having known this my whole life and having gone so far as to give up on all of you well let's just say that the renewed sense of destiny and purpose i embrace it's as much a product of my entire life as anything else can describe it so at this point maybe i was supposed to make it this far so that i would be sure To set one example of, I know it can be different because it was different. I lived differently. I was given an unbelievable gift to see what humanity looks like when it's trusted to do the best for itself. It's amazing. It is the sort of inclusionary sensibility that everything else around us is missing. All that frenzy of discordance, that hum of dissociation that you feel in your daily life toward the structural reality that it is, well, that's on us. We've let it happen. We've created it. And instead of being smart enough to see that the world isn't built on A versus B or anything opposing anything, It's built on coming together. I know that's a stupid message to have to try to convey on open night, my comedy night uh, uh, venues, but that's where free speech still exists. That's where, at least I can say, if you had been given an opportunity to see the world without any quantification whatsoever and just experience it, Would you think you're a racist? Well, no. Because there would be no such thing. That's how the world really works. Everything else you're just programmed to think. War is good. War is good. Fuck, man. Sometimes I wonder if my humanity, as much as I believe in its pure goodness overall, if it isn't just the most dupable state of life out there we send people into battle to die over causes they have no direct influence or to be influenced situational reality we how many when i think of what my uncle in vietnam did to him what a waste What a waste. So, my opinion is, this sort of mm, evolution over the course of a lifetime, from knowing how it could be, to seeing how it really was, to knowing how it should be, well, I don't think a lot of people have had this run. And I don't think a lot of people ever got such a gift to know what humanity looks like when it's done on equal terms. If you had lived the same childhood I had, well, hell, there'd be a revolution by now. I mean, I've been doing nothing for the last 30 years, sitting around feeling sorry for all of us. So it's time. It's time to show a better way. And I'm trying. These open mic comedy nights, they're not the easiest crowd to win over, but I'm winning them over one night at a time. I am going to change this world, I promise you.